0: Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look the wages you failed to pay. The workman has mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of your harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have flattened yourselves in the, de- in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Amen. Thank you. Let me check. Yep, the baby wearing his diaper. We're good. All right. We... Yeah, I know, that's cool. Man, we believe in starting them young, amen? <laughs> I tell you what, that's a precious little baby. And I appreciate uh, that I love harmony, and I, I just melt over sibling harmony. That was beautiful, those three sisters singing together, and uh, one of the husbands playing guitar. We appreciate that uh, so, so much. And and I know that, that, that you enjoy that on several levels, and I hate using the word enjoy about anything we do up here. But, uh, but 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 I, I know that it pleased God as they offered that gift, and that's what I mean. But also, just it was it, they did good job. Amen. Yeah, and guess what? There's something you can do a good job at. You know, everybody's a ten, just in a different area. And so, where you're a ten is where you ought to be serving God. Amen. And we really believe that. I I I know what I sound like singing, and it ain't like that. <laughs> All right. So I don't sing, but God uh, asked me. <clears throat> to do this, to, to preach his word. Today we come to, we're, we're in James, as you know, hopefully you know that, and uh, on we're calling the whole book Practicing Christ in an Opposing World, and we're in these first six verses of chapter five, and uh, I, one sermon that I listened to, I, I try to get my sermons together, and then I listen to others, and and uh, and one guy introduced his sermon by saying, "Well, James took out a baseball bat right here and started beating us with it," and, uh, and and it sort of can feel that way. I mean, especially if you're guilty of what he's telling us to do or not to do, uh, it, it is a it, it is a tough book because it's so practical. It is so good. And today I'm calling this particular sermon #hashtag blessed. Uh, I, if if you're older and don't know what that means, uh, on so, several social medias, you can put a, a hashtag sign and then some words that kind of describe what you're doing, and then people may add to that or they can look it up that way. And uh, and and so, uh, go ahead and put up the first thing so they can see that picture. Maybe I don't know. Well, this is what I want you to take home with you: abundant well that. <laughs> Going back to the car. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Uh, it, that's a, a Mercedes with a uh, license plate that says, hashtag blessed. I don't know if you can tell that, uh, but that's, uh, that's on the license plate there. And, uh, and, and we think of that as a blessing, and it would be a blessing. I couldn't afford the insurance on that car, but, but, uh, but it is a blessing if God gives you an abundant wealth. And by the way, let me just start off by saying, God is not against you being rich. What he's against is you using all that money for yourself instead of for the glory of God. Now, I can't tell you what you ought to do with your money, okay? As far as like, if you got $100, I can't tell you how to spend that $100, where to put what, how. And I just use 100 in round numbers because I'm not good at math anyway. But, but however much you have, you've got to go to God to say, how do I use this? And James has given us some strong warnings today. And so what I want you to take home with you is this abundant money is not wealth. And a lack of money is not poverty. Poverty is when you've got the wrong mind and the wrong heart. So you can have a lot of money and still be poor. Because your mind is about consuming it upon yourself. You don't care about anybody else. And you can have no resources physically in this world and be rich in God's grace and mercy and love and, and serve. I've seen both cases, usually the latter in, in different nations. Uh, the median uh, the median salary in the United States is somewhere between 55000 and 63000 a year. That's I found two different figures for that, so it's somewhere in there. So I just, the next biggest country, or, or a country similar to us, maybe, and things, we always kind of, we came out of Great Britain, we look at them. In the United Kingdom, the average income is 44000 So it's, it's about 10000 less, at least, than in the United States. But do you know what the poverty line in the United States is? For a family of four, it's 25000 a year. For a family of one, it's 12000 a year. And many, 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 if not most of the people in the world live on much less than that. And so in the United States, even our poor have more resources than what we would call the poor in other places. And by the way, I, I'm not preaching on money today. I know it sounds like it. But on the use of your money, what God says you ought to do, and James, like I said, is going to hit us hard. But if you look in your Bibles in in Mark chapter twelve, in beginning in verse forty-one, by the way, I, I started to say this: the Bible says more about money and the right use of it than it does about heaven or hell or both of them, uh, either one of those. Uh, it talks more about that than than most things because this is this money is not a dollar bill. It is a resource that we can use, a tool we can use for the glory of God. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I don't know if you're aware, but our system in America, y- you really don't have any money. You've got a figure written down on a piece of paper or on a computer. There is no ba- backing except the value of it. That's why when the stock market crashes, everybody panics, because somebody figures it out and erased the zeroes. That's about what it means, you know. We have, not, if, 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 right? Most people don't even deal in cash anymore. And so our whole system is based on something we don't really have. It's just a determined value or a determined worth. But in Mark 12, when they really only had what they had in their hand... It says in verse forty-one, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. Now, just so you understand, uh, in those days in the temple, you didn't come in; they didn't pass a plate around. There were just boxes uh, out in wherever you uh, came in, and you would put your money in the box you wanted it to go in. I don't know what they all stood for, but that's how it worked. And it says Jesus is watching—excuse me—people putting money into the offering box, and many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made up a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave 100% of what she had. And God's not concerned with how much. He's concerned with what your percentage is, what you're keeping. Well, in James chapter 5, as I said, this isn't just about money. This is about our attitude toward, uh, toward our resources. And you've heard the scriptures read. And I just would like to start out my first point, if you will. Uh, I've got a two-point sermon with a lot of sub points today. And it's this, that accumulation of wealth makes you a fool. Now you say, I, how dare you call me that? Come now, you re- rich, weep and howl, for the miseries come upon you. And then later on uh, down here, he, cry, he says that, that we have lived foolishly. In fact, in Luke, there's the story of a man who's <clears throat> had a banner year of his crops, and he had more than he could put into his barns. And the Bible says that he said to himself, I will tear down these barns, and I will build bigger barns, and then I'll retire, and I will eat, drink, and be merry. And then one of the great questions of the Bible came to him and God asked him and said you fool tonight your soul will be required of you in other words you're going to die and then whose will these things be that your hand has provided you see we don't live for now we live for later there's a very famous illustration uh, by a man named John Piper he was uh, speaking at a gathering of young people and uh he wanted to encourage them or challenge them to, to give their life for, for the Lord. And, and he tells a story of how he came up with the illustration. He was just praying and asked God, what am I going to say? How do I start off? And, and he came upon this little article in Reader's Digest. How many of you have ever read a Reader's Digest? Okay, people my age and up definitely have, and some younger even have. And they, and they would have these sections, life in these United States, or humor, and all that. And, and sometimes at the bottom, they would have just a little story. And, and in one of those sections, he saw this story of this couple. And they had retired to a beach in Florida. That's you know seems to be the Mecca for retiring. And, and it said, and they, every day, they enjoyed walking up and down the beach, collecting seashells. And then John Piper looked at those young people and said, Huh, isn't that nice that the last thing they did before they faced Almighty God was collect seashells? You see how suddenly what seems wonderful becomes scary? That's exactly what James is saying in these verses. He says, Come now, you rich you, weep to, you should weep and howl. And that story I told you is out of Luke 12, by the way, verses 13 through 21. And gathering together, God says, you fool. You got more than you can use. Why are you trying to hoard it? Why are you trying to keep it for yourself? Because here in James, he says you should mourn your riches. Why? Because look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Now, can gold and silver corrode? No, but in God's economy they do, and your corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. God says the accumulation of our wealth in a in a in an improper way is held against us. Now I'm, I'm going to get to a point where you can see why that is. It's just it's just not well. We'll go ahead and get there. There in verse uh, three, he says. Your gold and silver corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. Why? Because you laid up treasures in the last days. Back to my John Piper's illustration of the people on the beach. It was their last days. They're about to die. They're retired. They're obviously closer to their day of departure than maybe someone in here. And yet what they were doing counted for nothing. And James is telling us. In the last days. Now listen. Something I used to not really think this way. But the past couple of years. Somebody said it. And it caught my attention. And I said they're right. The last days began when Jesus left. Okay. It doesn't mean we're waiting for the period that Revelation describes in, in detail. Even though I believe we're getting to the brink of that very quickly now. But to, after Jesus left. That's the last days. There's not going to be anything else except his return and establishing his kingdom on this earth. Right. Amen. And so we are living in the last days. But here's, here's something maybe you didn't think about. You're living in your last days. Because again, none of us in here are going to survive our lifetime. We're going to die. We are going away from here. We are all, in a hundred years, none of us in this room will be here. So what are you doing with the little bit of time you have before you face an almighty God? And, and that's what James tells us here in verse 3. That, that the, the, the laid up, you've laid up treasure... And what good is it? Because you're going to be gone. Who's going to have it? I know it can bless people after you're gone. And hopefully you make an make allowance for that. But what do you have? And listen, I'm not fussing at anybody except myself. Because, and, and this church, in case you don't know it, if you're watching us, thank y'all for being here. You don't know that our church gives 20% of the income, the general income, away to missions, 10% to our denominational missions and basically another 10% to ministries and missions around us or people that we we sponsor. So this church practices giving more than what we think of as the biblical requirement. We are generous to give and to help other people. But but here's the deal, the accumulation of wealth when you're about to die is dumb. I like, I heard one time there was a bumper sticker on the back of an RV, uh, uh, one of those motor coaches you go camping in, and it said, I being of sound mind and body, spend it all. <laughs> in other words, they were enjoying the money they made until they died and let their kids make their own money. That's kind of their attitude. And, and I'm not saying that you can't accumulate wealth because God's not against that. But what he is against is that you just keep hoarding it without using it for God's glory. You can build a wealth and, and you can establish things that will bless people for years and years to come. But nobody can take this world's wealth with them. And here in these first three verses, he says, your silver and your gold corrode. Why would he say that? Because it has no value in heaven. Right? I told you before the, about the uh, kind of pretend illustration of a guy who asked God, could he bring something from earth with him? And God said, well, no, you can't bring anything. He said, please, I, I just, I, I want to bring something. And he said, well, what do you want to bring? He said, well, I love gold and I've got a big collection of gold and I'd like to bring that. And God said, why would you bring pavement? The gold of this world is just what we walk on in heaven and it's better than the one we have here in this world. Do you see what he's saying? What we value is temporary, and what we ought to value is the permanent, because in heaven, there's only three eternal things, God, God's Word, and the souls of men, and you say, well, people who go to hell are not eternal, no, they, they die forever in hell, they never lose consciousness, they never are burned up, they spend an eternity in hell, as we spent an eternity in heaven, you have, either have eternal life or eternal death, but both are eternal, And God is eternal. His word is eternal. He said, the world will pass away before dotting of an I, crossing a T will pass out of my word. God has his word set in heaven. He said, I've exalted my word above my name. So God, his word, and the souls of men are the only eternal things. And if we're investing all of our energy and time and resources in the temporary, God says, that's foolish. Now, hear what I'm saying. I, I I'm afraid I'm going to be misunderstood today. So I'm going to go, oh man, preacher God guidance about not giving money. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I want you to, to understand it's about the right use of your money. It's how your attitude toward it. Do you own your possessions or your possessions own you? What are your motivations? What What is it that you are trying to accomplish in this life? Because... You would also be foolish not to plan. God says, make plans, understand. But understand they come from the Lord. James already covered that. Remember he said, God willing, we'll do this. But then what do you do with the results of that? And everything you try to gain and keep here on this earth, you're going to leave it and go away. And listen, none of us will ever do that to our own satisfaction. I, I saw the movie Schindler's List. And I don't know if you saw it or not. But it, but it was about a man who... Was a businessman in, in Germany and the Nazis took over. It's a true story. And he rescued many, many, many Jewish people. He would, he would buy their freedom. He used his income, his resources, to get them out of Germany and save their lives. And at the very end of that movie, and it's a long movie and it's horrifying to watch, but at the end of that movie, standing on a train, he's leaving himself. And he starts looking and he says, this watch, this watch, I could have sold this watch and saved two more. This ring, I could have sold that and saved one more. The buttons on his coat were gold. I could have, could have taken these buttons and sold them. He, he was desperate for the few that he didn't save instead of seeing the hundreds he did. Why do you think we have tears in heaven that have to be wiped away? Because we see what we missed. The second point is... We have blessings now in this world, but the judgment is coming. God does bless us. He gives us an abundance. If you are a poor person in America, you're still pretty blessed in this nation. Our, our government has, has safety nets for people that, that are struggling, having difficulty. Back in the old days, uh, my, back when my grandparents were alive, and they were, that was a long time ago, um, my grandfather was born in 1888. My grandmother in 1892. So that's quite a ways back. And they went through the, through the depression and all of that. My grandmother cleaned the church that I uh, became a member of, was born into. My, my mother still went there when I came around. And she took in laundry because her husband had died when my mother was only seven years old. And her little brother was six. And, and their father died. And they had it rough. And, they under, and I, so I understand that from the stories and, and, and so in that time and after that time, our government began to make social programs to help people that would be in that kind of situation. And I'm glad for anybody who is in need to get help. But listen, those of us who have wealth ought to figure out what we're doing with it. Because, let's jump to verse 4 now. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. They say, thank God. I pay the people work for me. I pay that boy that cuts my grass. I, no worries. But here's what I realized. That's not what he's talking about. Because notice, notice who is being cheated. The laborers who mowed your field and the harvesters. You may be catching on. Verse 5, you lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. And listen to this phrase, and you fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. There's another application of the word harvester. Blessed is the man who goes out bearing precious seed, weeping as he goes. For he will return with joy, bringing his sheaves with him, his harvest with him. And did you hear that phrase, you fattened yourself up in the last days? You fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter? In other words, you kept back from the harvesters. Who are they? They're God's people that go out and... Labor in the field to bring in a harvest, right? Our Southern Baptist Convention has thousands of missionaries. And a few years ago, and I'm not sure exactly where they are today, they had to start cutting back because there wasn't enough money to keep them on the field. While we're driving our Mercedes with hashtag blessed on it. And in eternity, what will mean more that I could afford a Mercedes Benz? Or that I gave a little bit more to keep someone in a place where the gospel won't reach without them. He says, you've saved it in the last days. And notice that God hears the cries of those harvesters. How many, I, I don't know, I, see I've read a lot of missionary stories. I've known a few missionaries, and and, and I know that that... Sometimes they cry out in despair. They are at the end of their rope. Sometimes physically and mentally and spiritually they're just exhausted. But sometimes if they just had a little bit more money, I mean, right now we sponsor a guy in Africa as a church, and they have need money to buy materials to to do the work. And sometimes that money gets a little bit tight. Lottie Moon, the great missionary that we always like to. To so brag on, the money they sent her, she spent it on the people there. She died of starvation on her way back to America. Because the people there were so poor. And these harvesters are crying out to God, oh God, where are the resources? We need help. We need other harvesters. That's why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He'd send workers into his field. And not everybody's called to physically go. But do you think about the worldwide harvest? Seven billion people in this world. And statistically, and I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know around 3 to 4 or maybe even 5 billion of those people do not have access to the gospel. In other words, they couldn't hear it if they wanted to. And you, you, It's somewhere in that neighborhood, and that's a big neighborhood I just described. But let's say it's only 3 billion. Are you happy that 3 billion people can't even hear the word of God? I, I personally am not. And he says... We're coming to the end. You, 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 do you know what that, how that is when you got a deadline? You, you understand? You haven't really gotten done yet. And it's a hard deadline, and you got a job, and you realize, man, I, I hadn't finished, and you start working faster and harder. James is describing seeing that deadline coming, whether it be the end of your life or Jesus' return. And I would, I would bet more on the end of your life, because we know that's going to happen in your lifetime. Jesus may come back in your lifetime. We don't know. That's the surprise one. It's sort of like you don't know when the boss is going to pop in, right? That's that's Jesus coming back. He's coming back one day. We're just not sure exactly when. But listen, I know you're going to die before you leave this earth. And people need us today. People need us right now. And the cry of these harvesters is reaching God's ears. And he says, but you lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. When people are in need and you're, you've seen the movies, you've seen TV shows, you've read books where the, where the king or the person that has all the money and the resources and people are starving and they're just dining in this elegance while people are starving. That, that is the story that is repeated over and over in the, in the world. And James uses that idea here. Because if you have an animal that you know you one day want to slaughter and eat... What you don't do is starve it. When, when I took a little mission trip to Africa, we went to the mission house. And in Africa, they, they consider gift-giving something you ought to do. So you ought to take a little something to give them, but they're going to gonna give you out of their abundance. We left this village, poor little village, middle of nowhere, no electricity. We were sleeping on the ground under a tent. It was hot. When we left, we had a goat tied to the top of the van, we had some live chickens and bags of eggs because they wanted to give to us. That's just part of their culture. So we went to this mission house, and the people there killed a chicken and then cooked it for us, and it was like trying to eat this pulpit. (laughs) It was tough. I'm just telling you, it was tough, and the missionary looked at me and said, that's a well-exercised chicken. (laughs) Because they're pecking at rocks and stuff. I mean, they they were just hungry chickens. And you weren't going to get much out of them. And so we talk about fattening the lamb for slaughter. Now are you catching what James says? You fattened yourself when the day of judgment's coming. You have made yourself ready for slaughter. Because judgment's on the way. I'm telling you, it's a baseball bat. That preacher was right. This was a baseball bat what am i doing with all this abundance i have you see in chapter 4 look at verse 17 at the end of the chapter it came just before this so the so what whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin if you know what to do and you don't do it that's sin you say, well, how much should I give? That's between you and God. There's a university out there, Letourneau University. And Mr. Letourneau was a Christian. He's very wealthy. But when he started his first business, he said to God, he was a Christian, he said, God, I'm going to give you 10% of everything you bless me with. And he went broke and the business failed. And he said, well, I, I know, God, I'll give you 20%. He started another business. I'll give you 20% of everything I make. And he went broke, and the business failed. He said, God, I'm sorry. I'll give you 30% of everything I make. And he went broke, and the business failed. And finally, he said, okay, Lord, what is your will? And God said, I want you to give 90% to me. He said, excuse me? He said, I want you to give 90%. He died a multimillionaire. And by the end of his life, he was given 95% of his money to help other people and missions and preachers and built a university And people still can go to that university today. A friend of mine uh, who is a missionary in aviation went to that college. If you know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's sin. So for Mr. Letourneau, it was 90%. And God made him a multimillionaire on 10%. You say, well, I thought 10% was the standard. It was in the Old Testament. Actually, it wasn't 33 and a third percent. Because they gave three tithes of 10% during the year. And every three years, they gave another 10%. So if you want to just get Old Testament, it's 33 and a third. New Testament says, as God has blessed you, give to him. And here in James, he says, and you are blessed. You are blessed. That the hashtag blessed is correct. But it's not about how much wealth you have. It's about how blessed you are that you know God, the living God who loves you. And here James is warning us, listen, God has given you much, but the harvesters are crying out. I mean, remember when we read these things like this in the Bible, we think, yeah, those sinners need to hear that. No, he's talking to the church. He's talking to us and saying, what are you doing? And like I said, I'm not here to judge you. I'd be the last person to judge you because I don't do it all right either. But I think it would be really good for all of us if we began to ask God, what do you want us to do with the resources? And that's more than money. It's not just about the money. What are you doing with your energy, with your time? What are you doing with your efforts? What are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? Because the last verse in chapter 4 said, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. And then he starts talking about holding back from those who are in need. When the end is coming and you can't keep it anyway, it's going away. It's going away. So, what can you do with all this? Well, I would say, first of all, acknowledge your selfish living. Just take stock. Are you only living for yourself? Are you living to consume all your income on yourself? Then, secondly, change your attitude toward temporary wealth. Because there are people that just live to make money in this world. And again, there's nothing wrong with making money in this world. I thank God for people that make money in this world. Other people wouldn't have jobs if somebody wasn't making money to give them the money to do the job, right? This is called common sense, right? God gives some people ability to build big corporations or build businesses and make more money so that they can pay you to have a job to take care of your family. So thank God for that. He's not against that. But it's about our heart and our attitude toward what we have. And so we have to change our attitude with... This is only temporary wealth. What do I need to do with this? I I was in a Sunday school class a long, long time ago. People my age, and I was a young adult. And, And this is judgmental. It is, Lord. I don't want to be judgmental, so help me not be judgmental. But we came to prayer request time. And the prayer request of one of the ladies was that the electricians or the plumbers or somebody didn't show up in the new house they were building. And she was just so frustrated because they didn't show up that week like they were supposed to. Now, I'm not judging her. She's a Christian girl. God loves her. And God used her to bring people to Christ. I'm not judging her. But boy, I started thinking to myself, do I find my importance in that? And, And is it so much about me that that I would worry about that. I'm not saying she was that way. I'm saying I know me. I know I would have been that way. Like, I can't believe it. You know. When you're getting a new house. Right? Oh, you, you had to wait an extra week. Okay. Are you going to starve? It's not like you don't have anything to eat or anywhere to stay. You, you obviously are okay. You're Right? And we get so wrapped around stuff that's going to go away. It's going to fall down. I mean, y'all can go out west, find one of them mud huts that's still there, I guess. But where are the homes that our ancestors built in the 1700s and 1800s? It's so odd that we make them historical landmarks. Look, it's still standing. Can you believe it? I guarantee you in 100 years, the house you live in ain't going to be there anymore, probably. And if it is, it's either going to be falling down or somebody's had to spend a lot of money to keep it going. I'm just using that as an example. Because every so many years, you've got to get a new car, right? Because the old one wears out. See, we think so temporally; we don't see eternal. And so we've got to change our attitude toward this temporary place we live. Because this is where we get to serve God. So the third thing I would tell you is, so determine how to most effectively use your temporary earthly wealth for eternal wealth. Now, every week, Debbie says, can you shorten that some? (laughs) Because it all won't fit on a slide. But I had to get all those words in there. How can you most effectively use your temporary earthly wealth for eternal reward? Not that you get a reward, but that heaven is fuller because of what you did. Listen, you might be in here and be on that poverty line. And God bless you. We love you. We want to help you. But when I mentioned earlier that poverty is not necessarily a lack of money, it's a wrong attitude and a wrong heart. There are some people who are physically poor because they don't know what to do and they need help. There's a thing that we've seen in the world's societies is called the gospel lift. People get saved and their mind gets right and they start living better because God now lives with them. And that's an awesome thing. But in our country, we have lived with the knowledge of the gospel so long. Now, some of us have started to ignore God. We don't say God's will be done. And we kind of live in an abundant nation. And we have forgotten that. And we've become poor in our souls because we come to God like we're somebody instead of. Listen, if you don't have money for the necessities, you understand you need God desperately. But when we have all that we need we forget that God is the source of all this abundance we have and that's where we get in trouble and so we have to stop and determine how we can use what God has given us for his glory because one day I'm going to die and I'm going to leave it all I don't have a lot to leave and my kids are going to throw away about 90% of what I got let me tell you I I told you all when it happened a little bit more than a month ago a month and a half ago our shed burnt down. There was a lot of stuff in there I thought was something I ought to keep. And I got about this much out of this much still. And I'm not sure I need all the stuff I still got. Sort of like God said, here, let me, let me show you how you get rid of the stuff you don't need. <laughs> but what a picture of what it says in Corinthians. There's coming a day when all of our works will be like a big heap in front of God. And he's going to throw fire at it. And everything that's not gold, silver, and precious stones spiritually is going to burn up. And then he rewards you with what's left after that fire. That's what Corinthians teaches us, Paul teaches us. That our judgment, our reward is based not on what we bring him, but what's left after it's hit by his holy fire. And then when he rewards us, we're going to take that crown and cast it at his feet because he alone is worthy. and We'll realize everything we had came from him. And some of us have surrounded ourselves with a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. And when the spark hits it, it'll just burn up. I saw it happen. It was just wood, hay, and stubble. And now it's gone. And I don't miss it. I really don't. So I pray that God will speak in your heart about what you should do to help those in great need in this world. Father, indeed, your harvesters are crying out. Lord, there are people around the world...